My name is Dean Annan, and I'm the discipleship pastor here. I'll be down in front. I'd love to, to meet you uh, if we haven't had a chance yet. Well, today, I've titled this sermon, and this can be the big idea. I know some of you are like, what's a big idea? I'm kind of known for the big idea. <laughs> but the sermon title today is, Our Gratitude is a Gift God Loves. Our Gratitude is a Gift God Loves. You know, when we feel grateful for something, yes, I'm getting that age, I'll put these on. When we feel grateful for something, um, built inside of us is something that wants to give back. You know, like, like a gift, and I'll admit it, I'm a horrible gift giver. Just ask my family, ask my wife. It's true, uh, growing up gift giving, it just didn't really happen much in our family. I mean, I was, I was the baby, and I was probably clueless, about what was going on. My sisters were much better than the brothers at giving gifts. Uh, birthday time, we didn't, and we just didn't really celebrate birthdays that much or think much of them. Uh, Christmas, we, we, we definitely did presents at Christmas. Our parents gave us presents, but I didn't really return the favor and, and spent time just kind of on my own things. It was, you know, sports, friends, uh, all those kinds of things in school. I didn't think much about showing gratitude by giving gifts. That's just me. You could say that. I'm gift-giving challenged. I had to think a lot about uh, this Leviticus too. We'll see here in a little while why that matters. But just this, this lack of gift-giving may say something about me personally, maybe about my soul. And I think I'm, I'm still growing up in what it means to give to others and, and even give give gifts. I like to, to serve people, but there's also this idea of giving something because I think it, there's this connection between the physical and the spiritual world, like, like giving a gift that reflects what's in your soul. Today we are in Leviticus chapter two. It's called the grain offering. The Hebrew word for grain offering implies a gift. It implies a tribute or giving. That's what grain offering is. So if you haven't seen last week's sermon, please take a look at that, because last week it wasn't just about the burnt offering, about uh, the, the first uh, blood sacrifice offering in Leviticus. It was also an overview. And so there's a lot there about, frankly, why are we in the book of Leviticus? It matters. And so go back if you haven't watched that yet. We have a slide here for the grain offering and what it demonstrates here at the very beginning, the very top of the sermon it demonstrates your dedication to God. You'll see this for the Israelites. Dedication to the God and gratitude for the Lord's provision. It's, it's about gratitude. And in every way, what we're going to see, this is an act of worship. And so it says here in our text today that it's an offering pleasing to the Lord. This is worship, the grain offering. Remember that word? Hang on to that word. I'm coming back to that a lot. It's when believers demonstrate their dedication to the Lord by giving him a portion of what God gave to them. Um, I know that Leviticus was a long time ago, right? Long time ago. But one of the most important things we can do to try to understand the Bible, to try to interpret it rightly, is to go back in time to try to understand what was in their minds at that time, what God was saying to them. Because if we don't, we're going to misinterpret the Bible more times than not. And what God intended for the ancient Hebrew people, the lessons he was giving them to transform their lives are the exact same for us. There's, there's no difference. So instead of saying this or asking this question when we read the Bible, I know this is kind of popular, and I'm not against it, but it's not a favorite of mine, of asking, what, what does this passage mean to me? I'm more in favor of asking this, what does this passage mean to who it was written to? 
or as Fian Stewart says, I have it up here, the true meaning of biblical text for us is what God originally intended it to mean to who it was spoken to first. That's important. In other words, we don't have the right to do anything we want with it. We have to go to their town. We have to go to their time and understand what God is saying and not just go around the ancient people but dive into their historical and cultural context. So I kind of wish, I was thinking this week, that I wish we had uh, Uncle Rico's time machine. Does anybody, raise your hand if you have any idea what I'm talking about. Uncle Rico's time machine, one. Wow, one, okay. (laughs) This is from the famous, not so famous movie, Napoleon Dynamite. Okay, any more people, Napoleon Dynamite? You have any idea what I'm talking about? Oh, so you got a lot of awes. You still have to stay, you're already seated, you can't leave. we have a picture of Napoleon there with the famous Uncle Rico's time machine. By the way, it didn't work, just in case you know. His brother Kip's in the background trying to help him out. Uh, that didn't work, the time machine, to go back in time. Kind of be nice if we had that, right, to go back to the ancient Hebrew people, just to be there, sit on the side and see what they're going through. But we do have the scriptures, and so we can go there. And so as we do this and go back and explore in that time, there's a couple of questions I want to put on the screen here for you, and maybe one of these will hit home for you. We can ask this as we're going through Leviticus. Do I live now as if everything I have comes from God? Or maybe uh, does my worship cost me anything? And I'm not talking about tithing or giving money to the church. I'm talking about your heart, your life. Uh, Soon in the grain offering, we're going to be looking at the what, why, when, and how and these different pieces and characteristics and ingredients. But what I want to do is spend a minute and reiterate a little bit of last week but then also build on top of that to get back to the town and to the time of the Hebrew people. We're going to be doing that from time to time through this series, going back and see what their culture was like. So as we go back and if we think about the ancient Near East cultures of that time, the non-Israelites, what you're going to see is Even before the time of Leviticus, you're going to see ritual purifications, you're going to see animal sacrifices, you're going to see blood sacrifices. Even last week you heard human sacrifices. All of these things were happening, and they were to their so-called gods, which are nothing more than than demons. Uh, There's a lot of differences, of course, between those and what we see in the book of Leviticus. So I want to show a quick slide of the Yahweh versus the false gods. What are these differences in the practices and the rituals and the sacrifices? First, in Leviticus, what we have is divine revelation. These Levitical offerings were not based on what demons thought up or, or what some people thought up, but directly from God we see these offerings. Second is strict monotheism. So the Hebrew people and us today as Christians, we have one true God. We don't have a plethora or a bunch that we can go to. Also, just the understanding of sin, its impact in life, and atonement, or how that can be paid for. God is the one who lays this out, how actually to take care of those problems. Not man's way, not woman's way, boys or girls, but God's way and God's way only. Remember, it's always God's way. Of course, high ethical uh, morality, of course, should be obvious for most of us, but Yahweh's holy and righteous character. And what's interesting is how um, in the ancient world, and even today, with pagan demon religions, you see see this capriciousness of gods. Their gods are unpredictable and impulsive, but our God, our God, never changes. Now, 
He never changes in the way that we think of changes, but his character never changes. He's always good, always loving, always pursuing you, and will never, ever leave you. And of course, the prohibition of human sacrifice, which still happens today. Our God said no to that. Our God values human life. So God called these people, these ancient Hebrew people, out of that culture to himself. God is holy. He wants his people to be holy before all the nations. His desire is to be with his people. And nothing can be better than to be with God. And chapter 2 is a lot about that. And this is how awesome Leviticus is. This is one of the reasons I absolutely love Leviticus. I'm going to put chapter 26, verses 11 through 13. And we see what all these sacrifices in Leviticus are moving towards and why they even exist. It's so we can worship God and be with God and be close to God. But it takes sacrifices. Look, verse 11. This is what God is saying. I will make my dwelling among you. And my soul shall not abhor you, and I will walk among you, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land, he's reminding them, of Egypt. He brought them out of slavery so he can be with them, that you should not be their slaves. And I have broken the bars of your yoke and made you walk erect. You know, this dwelling, this continued presence. Last week we, saw, we heard a little about the manifestation of God right there at the tent Right there in the tabernacle, they could see him, that their God didn't leave. He's right there with them. Because of the continued covenant blessing, God will be with his people. He is a covenanting God. A couple of words come to mind right at the forefront. I mentioned worship before for Leviticus, but also relationship. God is a God of worship and relationship, and that's what Leviticus screams at us. But this relationship, this is important, is always based on God's ordained sacrifices. God's ordained sacrifices because he is holy. None of us, not me, not some holy person, not you, we don't have a right to approach God in any way we want. We always are able to approach God in one way and that is through ordained, God-ordained sacrifices. It takes that for us, not man's traditions, not man's ways, but God's ways. You know, uh, some years ago, my daughter was in traffic court. I won't tell you her name. Actually, we only have one daughter. Okay, so it's Grace. <laughs> Sorry, Grace. Uh, my wife was with her, and this woman was in the courtroom, and she was yelling and screaming at the judge. Oh, my goodness. And I, she told me again yesterday, that she just wouldn't give up. She was entitled or belligerent for some reason. And this, initially, the judge was patient and kept giving her warnings, but these warnings kept going on. And she, this woman, kept going on and just wouldn't be quiet. Eventually, the judge gave her jail time. Well, of course. Why? Because this is the judge's courtroom, right? <laughs> Who's in charge? It's the judge. If you've ever been in court, you know what I'm talking about. Okay, I haven't been in court. Well, maybe I have. But... If you've ever been in court, it is the judge's courtroom. It's silly to approach a judge any way you want. This is their domain. But how much more silly it is for us to approach God any way we want. No, we we approach God on his terms. That's how we worship God too, on his terms. And Leviticus reminds me of that. Our holy, good, and loving God has made a way for us to come to him. 
So thank God, even in the New Testament times, we see through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that we can come to God. Now back to Leviticus, we see um, the sacrifices pointing to Jesus Christ, frankly. That's what these do over and over again. So in a moment, we're going to read the 16 verses. I'm actually going to read all of them from end to end. But I want you to see on this slide these five different um, sacrifices and I'm going to read the 16 verses and we limited commentary by me as we go through it. Um, the sense of this uh, Hebrew word for grain offering implies an act of worship, an act of sacrifice. That's what all these things are doing. And I get the one today that is the non-blood sacrifice, the non-animal sacrifice. So I, I won't shy away from that stuff, but I'm saying I'm, I'm the one who gets that. So Leviticus chapter 2, though, there's a quick outline. And you don't have to write all this down, but I want you to know that the first three verses is a way for the Israelites to give this grain offering to God in an unbaked form, just the flour itself. And in the middle, verses 4 through 10, God gives the options for people to come to him with a grain offering that is cooked different ways, you're going to see is really cool. And then the last part is prohibitions and other instructions in these 16 verses. So I'm going to read, and we're in Leviticus chapter 2. You can turn on your Bibles. You can turn there if you'd like. The first 16 verses, or actually that's a whole chapter. Here we go. When anyone brings a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour. He shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it and bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests. And he shall take from it a handful of the fine flour and oil and all of its frankincense, and the priest shall burn it, or burn this as its memorial portion on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is the most holy part of the Lord's food offering. So the priests get a piece to eat, some to eat also. Verse 4, here's the baked forms that you can give to the Lord if you so choose. When you bring a grain offering, baked in the oven as an offering, it shall be unleavened loaves of fine flour mixed with oil for unleavened wafers smeared with oil. Verse 5, and if your offering is a grain offering baked on a griddle, that's another choice. It shall be a fine flour unleavened mixed with oil. You shall break it in pieces and pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. Verse 7. And if your offering is a grain offering cooked in a pan, it shall be made of fine flour with oil, just like the others. And you shall bring the grain offering that is made of these things to the Lord. And when it is presented to the priest, he shall bring it to the altar. And the priest shall take from the grain offering its memorial portion, so the, the priest is going to break off some, just a little, and burn this on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the Lord's food offering. Verse 11. So here's some of these uh, prohibitions, restrictions, and some other instructions. No grain offering that you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven, that's or yeast, for you shall burn no leaven, nor any honey, as a food offering to the Lord. As an offering of first fruits, just let me go on a tangent here. First fruits is a Jewish festival. It's at a time early in the spring, just before the harvest would come in, when the harvest was about ready, before they actually harvested the grain, they would take some of that as a first portion and give that to the Lord as an offering, showing that. God is the one who provides all. That's a first fruits offering. So in verse 12, as an offering of first fruits, and all of that is in Leviticus 23. As an offering of first fruits, you may bring them to the Lord, but they shall not be offered on the altar for, 
for a pleasing aroma. You shall season all your grain offering with salt. And you shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. And in case you missed it, <laughs> with all your offerings, you shall offer salt. Verse 14. If you offer a grain offering of first fruits to the Lord, you shall offer for the grain offering of your first fruits fresh ears roasted with fire. That means early green grain roasted with fire, crushed. Here's a roasted option crushed new grain. And you shall put oil on it and lay frankincense on it, just like before. It is a grain offering. Verse 16, and the priest shall burn it as its memorial portion, some of the crushed grain and some of the oil with all its frankincense. It is a food offering to the Lord. Okay. Whew. <laughs> That's a lot. But don't worry, they wrote this down. They had it all. No problem. Lots of instructions, lots of ingredients, a lot of different things happening here. The good news is in Leviticus chapter 6, I won't go there today, verse 14, there's more on this. In Leviticus chapter 23, there's more on this. In Numbers, there was more on this. In Deuteronomy, there's more on this. I'm not going to take us there today, but that's where I'm going to be gathering some of this information for us today to process together. Um, And then we're going to see what is God up to in his infinite genius wisdom with the grain offering. So let's look at some of the characteristics of the grain offering. Remember earlier this title or big idea, our gratitude is a gift God loves. I look at the grain offering, at least for me, I think it is, it's a very personal offering. You'll see that personal, but it's also, also an emotional offering. All right, why? Why the grain offering? Let's keep moving. Don't lose track of the word worship. Mentioned that before. A worshiper or a believer is coming to God of their own free will. The grain offering is voluntary. Okay? You can do it or you cannot do it. Verse 1 says, when anyone brings a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, so people could give what they wanted, saying thank you to God. That's what this is about. It's, a, it's an offering of gratitude to the Lord. They were doing it freely, not under compulsion. As a matter of fact, in these 16 verses, you may have picked up a little bit on this 10 different times. It says this, or something very similar. This is an offering to the Lord. It also says the burning of it was a pleasing aroma to the Lord in verse 2 and verse 9. Have you ever wondered if what you're doing for the Lord, because you're, if you're following Jesus, you're doing something for the Lord, but is it pleasing to the Lord? thought about that week, this week. We had to be a little bit careful. That's why it's important for us to understand, to learn scripture, to walk in obedience, and to check our own hearts. Sometimes we're doing things for the Lord. Not always sure we say it's for the Lord. Not always sure it's pleasing the Lord. Anyways, free will, voluntary, that pleases the Lord. Second thing is that this, uh, what this grain offering did and how it pleased the Lord is that it was a real personal sacrifice. They probably had to save up for this. Because if you think about it, this is grain. At this time, they're in the desert. I'm not a farmer. But it's not easy to get grain in the desert. Not until they got to the land of Canaan where they could plant and grow. It would have probably been easier. But at this point, depending on your socioeconomic status, did you have money or not, you may have had to save. Maybe you had to save in order to get this grain to buy it. It took savings, sacrifice, time, dedication, And of course, your own work to grind the flour. Up on the next slide here, we have the grain offering, worship that pleases the Lord. 
And the first few things is it's voluntary, it's done freely. But it also, there's a sacrifice involved here. I would say that's personal. Second thing moving forward then is just to continue along this theme of this grain offering, how it's so personal. Imagine for a moment that you're the worshiper. I'm going to pull a little bit of verse 1 and verse 4 through 7 up again in a minute. But imagine that you're handing over, if you recall from the earlier verses, some flour as your grain offering to the priest. Or maybe you prepared some of this grain, right, and you baked it. Can you imagine that? You're doing this in your own uh, oven or pan or whatever at home. Oven-baked cakes or wafers mixed and spread with oil, like in verse 4. Verse 5 and 6 was this crumbled, griddle baked cakes mixed with spread and uh, mixed and spread with oil. Or in verse 7, it talks about like these pan-fried cakes that you're making. You're making this for the Lord. Verse uh, 14, even, even a roasted version it talked about. So God is permitting all these various kinds of whatever you can do, whatever works for you, to voluntarily come to him with this grain offering. Verse 1 again says this, Offering, the offering shall be a fine flour. He shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it and bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests. How cool. But also in verse 4 and 5 and 7, it says, When you bring a grain offering, baked in the oven or baked on a griddle or cooked in a pan, you get to do it how you like it, how it works for you. Or maybe even roasted, as I mentioned before. You're to enjoy this. Can you imagine being thankful for the Lord for this, having sacrificed, and, and you have some grain together now? Can you imagine just being the cook there in your home? Maybe you're with the kids. You're saying, we're going to give this to the Lord. We're going to give this to the Lord. How exciting that would be. And at the same time, this is pleasing to the Lord because you're supporting the priests and the priestly duties also because they get a portion of this also. This is what's pleasing to the Lord. And there's options. You know, I talked about the options, and these options of these different kinds, not everybody had a nice oven. God sees your social and economic circumstances even in that day. And so not everybody has a nice oven, so some can only do a pan, or maybe they can't even cook, and they can just give it. But God cares about you. That's what matters. God cares and sees your circumstances. So to add more to that, that list we had before about the grain offering worship that pleases the Lord, yes, it's done freely and sacrificially, of course, but it's prepared by you. That's personal. That's wonderful. And you know that God cares about you too. But there's more. There's more. Verse 2 mentions that the priests take a handful of the fine flour. Or in verses 9 and 16, it talks about this memorial portion, which is a little break-off part of the, the bread or whatever was baked here. And that stuff was burned on the altar. In verse 2 and 9, it says this, a pleasing aroma to the Lord, both verse 2 and verse 9, that's mentioned, this, this burning. You know, so this is the grain offering we're talking about, right? And the, the frankincense that's being burned, by the way, when you burn frankincense, if you didn't know this, if you burn it, then, then it smells really, really good. It's a pleasing aroma. But here's the thing about that. If you go back to chapter 1, the burnt offering, the animal sacrifice, that was also burned. And that also says in chapter 1 that that aroma was pleasing to the Lord. <laughs> would you have liked that smell of the animal? No, I wouldn't. So something else must be up here. This isn't about how we like it, what it smells like to us. Because both of these things, whether it was a grain offering, whether it was a burnt offering, was a pleasing aroma. And it smelled good, it says to the Lord. Or it was an aroma pleasing to the Lord. So again, the Lord is up to something here. I think what he's doing clearly is looking at the heart. 
of the worshiper, a heart of gratitude, coming to the Lord, dedicated, grateful heart, willingly. What was also important about this memorial portion is that it prompted people to remember that they are covenant people under God and to live accordingly. That's a part of this memorial portion, burning that. And this is acceptable to God. So I want to add more to our list before where it says the grain offering worship that pleases the Lord. All of these things. Third one up there. God accepts a dedicated and grateful heart. The Apostle Paul picks up on this in Philippians chapter 4. Now, the Apostle Paul received a gift from someone to continue his ministry, and he equated it to this, this fragrant offering that's acceptable. Philippians 4.18 says, this is Paul receiving a gift from someone to help his ministry. He says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent me, a fragrant offering. There it is. He's equating it like to this, like what we're talking about today, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So far, we've seen the grain offering brought pleasure to the Lord. This was a voluntary offering, a commitment to the Lord, a willingness to follow the covenant. But all of this, and what's most important, is driven by a grateful heart. That's what the grain offering is about, a grateful heart. Well, I like to cook. I was looking to see if my wife would like Yeah, I like to cook. Um, the fact is I get lucky sometimes. And other times people pay the price for my untamed, undomesticated, uneducated uh, kitchen skills. Um, I like to add salt, even when it doesn't need it, <laughs> even when there's too much. I've overcooked salmon so many times, it's not funny. One day my son was eating salmon uh, with a, that I cooked, and it was actually good this time. And he looked at me and he said, you cooked this? And I said, yeah, I cooked this. He said, it's good. <laughs> I think he was lamenting in that moment the, the years of having eaten overcooked salmon. You know, the, the, the cooking uh, ingredients you use, like I overuse sometimes, they matter. They matter to God here in this grain offering. They actually matter. They're symbols in every way, and symbols matter to God. I hope as Christians we see that and step into that, and embrace that. It matters to God what's in this grain offering. His ingredients. I want to talk about that. You've picked up probably on the fact that there were some of these different ingredients here as we read in those 16 verses. In general, uh, Scripture seems to suggest, and some are very clear, actually, reasons behind these ingredients. I'm going to put some up there on the uh, screen there in a moment, some of the required ingredients, and there were some. One would be the fine flour. Now, by the way, these are the best ingredients because God gets first and God gets best. God gets first and God gets best. This is the principle throughout Leviticus. All right, so God gets the best. Here we go. Fine flour. Usually it was wheat. Wheat was more expensive than barley. Could have been barley. Different people debate that, but, but wheat, wheat was the best, most expensive. The fine flour here represents bread, represents, more importantly, life, the staff of life. It's sometimes called life. That's what this fine flower is representing, bread which supports life. The worshiper is saying this, my very life, when they bring the grain offering, my very life is from you, God. That's what they're saying, fine flower. Olive oil is the next one. 
olive oil. This was um, olive oil that was then mixed with the fine flour. This represents God's spirit. The Holy Spirit is enabling spirit mixed with the very life that God gives us. Third, frankincense, and some of you know what that is. Uh, frankincense uh, was uh, beautiful, expensive, and desirable uh, incense, and it was put on the top of the flower and on top of the oil. And when burned, it was very, uh, very good smell. Nothing but the best for God. Fourth, salt. That was in verse 13. I'm gonna put that back up, back up on the screen. That was a little bit later. And God's really clear about salt and why. Now, in the ancient Near East cultures, salt had different things. It was pure, to pure it was a lot of things. Uh, per, uh, I can't think of the word. <laughs> Preservative, a lot of things, uh, even represented friendship in some cultures. But here in this passage today and for Leviticus, it's very clear why God has it in the grain offering. Verse 13, you shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. And in case you didn't hear him, say it again. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. It's very clear that God wants salt. Why does he want salt? They don't have to guess. Because they are God's forever covenant people. It says covenant right in that verse. He wants to remind them about the covenant relationship he has with Israel. And that covenant relationship with Israel undergirds the entire Levitical sacrificial system. It's built on top of the covenant, all of it. So let me add something else then to that that list we had before, the grain offering, worship that pleases the Lord. It's according to God's design. This offering is according to God, his way, his ingredients, because they do matter to God. It's always God's way said that earlier. I'm going to say it again. These symbols matter. It's about giving life, the spirit. It's costly, and it's on the basis of the covenant that he has with his people, our covenanting God. So those are some absolute requirements. God wants people to know that he loves them and that they can come to him in this way. But there's restrictions, too. I'm going to put verse 11 up there because in verse 11 we have some Restrictions for the grain offering. No grain offering, it says, that you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven, or that's yeast. For you shall burn no leaven, nor any honey, as a food offering to the Lord. So like I said, leaven is yeast, and that kind of changes, right? It changes the actual uh, bread or the process of cooking. And honey could too, by the way, cause fermentation. So so that's possibly why honey's mentioned here. But it represented something in that time, in the Bible times, yeast. And you've seen this possibly in the New Testament too when Jesus talks about this. It represents corruption. It represents sin even. Jesus in Matthew chapter 20, uh, 16, Matthew 16 talks about this and it this way as he's talking to his disciples. He said this, watch and beware. Now Jesus is talking to his disciples. Watch and beware of the leaven in the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Why? Because the Pharisees and the Sadducees were corrupting the people with their own sinful tendencies. They were leading people away. No, no sin, no corruption in these sacrifices. That pleases the Lord. So let me add again to our little uh, list there, number five. Pure, uncorrupted, 
sinless offering. This is the picture, these five things. When we come to the Lord, when we come with a gift of any kind, worship the Lord, this picture is a beautiful thing to the Lord. He loves it. It's so pleasing. It's absolutely genius. But here's even more of the genius of God and his love. Because here's what he did. Most of the time, not all, he paired the burnt offering from chapter 1 and the grain offering together because the grain offering typically followed the official daily burnt offering of the animal. Remember the burnt offering from chapter one? Talk about it early, talk about it again. The animal sacrifice, the blood sacrifice, which atoned for or, or paid for or covered their sins. And then with the sins covered from that burnt offering, you come to the Lord, there's this grain offering saying thank you for whatever is on your heart, but certainly for having your sins atoned for. What a beautiful pairing in God's genius way of doing things. So, there's a lot, I guess, in this sermon and in this chapter. A lot there. But when we're open to God, we can let him select for us or put in us what it is he wants us to hear, what it he wants us to think about, how he wants us to respond. And so I pray and I have this week that there's something here that God is speaking in your heart, something you need gratitude-wise, a way to approach God that is pleasing to him, whatever that is. God is in the business of transformation. He's not out to obliterate you. He's in the business of transformation, not obliteration. You want more alliteration? I won't do it. But he is. You know, I want to put a slide up about Exodus and Leviticus, and here's why. Because if you think back, and if, you, if you're kind of a Bible student, or if you're moving in that direction, and I hope you are, the book of Exodus, God saved his people out of slavery. He redeemed them. He purchased them. That's what he was doing, and he delivered them. What a beautiful picture of what God does. But then we get to the book of Leviticus, and there's a bit of a change here where he is sanctifying his people. He's giving them a new identity. And they're learning now how to be close to a holy God because they're sinners. And they know it. This sounds so great to me because God redeems and saves people and then he changes them. By the way, don't ever get that backwards because you'll never get anywhere in life and you'll never know Jesus as Savior if you get that backwards. We come to God first he redeems us, he saves us, he delivers us, and then he changes us. If, if, if we try to change ourselves first and get right before God and come, that will never work. God redeems and he saves, and then he changes us. We want to get that in order, friends. So I have a few so what's here. The first is this. Let gift offerings to God be from the heart as a thank you to God. And here's the kicker, not as a transaction. So giving a gift to God, whatever it is, and expecting something back, kind of a quid pro quo, kind of a I do for you, then you do something for me, that feels so much like the prosperity gospel, which is no gospel at all. That's not our God. He loves you unconditionally. And so we're to unconditionally give, unconditionally love also, like Christ who has given everything for us. So then we give to God. Remember, our gratitude 
is a gift that God loves. That's a first. Second, give thanks, watch this, in all circumstances, not for all circumstances. Huge difference. Let me read 1 Thessalonians 5, 15 through 18. See that no one repays anyone for evil or evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Verse 18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In circumstances, whatever they are, even the ugliness, we can thank God for who he is, what he has done, his character. But for the ugly thing that is happening right now in your life, you don't have to thank God for that thing because that thing could be ugly and you might hate that thing. But our God doesn't leave us. Our God will never let you go. And he's got, our God never changes. And he loves you. There's so many things we can thank God in that circumstance. You know, our spiritual wellness, our emotions, how we deal with life, usually hinges on this. At least that's been my experience. That's what I've seen. If we can thank God in circumstances, not necessarily for them, you're a long way down the road of being well. A third thing today is to see, not just with your eyes, and with your mind, and with your heart, all the above, see that Christ is in the burnt and the grain offering. This is a picture for us. The sacrifice of Christ for our sins, the fulfilling of all these elements within these these, uh, ingredients within the grain offering. This is Christ. His atoning sacrifice covers all our sins, and Christ is in, and we can see he freely gave himself voluntarily on the cross. It was acceptable to God. He was a pure and uncorrupted and sinless sacrifice. And have you trusted in this Savior, Jesus? Have you trusted in him, the one who sacrificed once and for all? We're going to have a time of communion here in a moment. And so if you've never taken time yet before Jesus to say sorry for what you have done, just to admit that you are a sinner before God, and you know it because you're feeling it, don't sit in that anymore. Don't try to get better. It just doesn't work. (laughs) Scriptures say it doesn't work. I know from experience it doesn't work. You can ask the person next to you, it doesn't work. Come to Jesus today. Ask him to forgive your sins, and the Bible says you will be saved. Admit you're a sinner. Believe in his resurrection Three days later, the Bible says you will be saved. If, if you do that now, even right now, there's no better time than now. Do that and take communion with us today because communion is for all the family of God who have trusted in Jesus Christ. And so if you're not someone who normally calls Village Church home but you believe in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, then take communion with us today. If you're still not sure about that, then instead of taking communion, come down here afterwards. Let's talk more about any questions that you might have. And so as we often do, we take time and reflect in prayer. We'll do that now silently right where you are and and ask God to reveal maybe more of himself or maybe sin in your life or or perhaps uh, with a heart of gratitude, come to him humbly now. And if you don't have the elements, uh, you can get those during a song. We'll have a little bit. um, The elements are right there at those double doors of the column to my left and right. You can pick those up. Let's go before the Lord together.